Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Welcome to the Fighting on Film podcast, the podcast all about classic and obscure war movies, from the Normandy landings to the days of chivalry and swords. If it's been captured on film, we're going to try and cover it. I'm Robbie of RM Military History. I'm Matthew Moss of Historical Firearms and the Armourer's Bench. Hello and welcome back to Fighting on Film. This is the very first episode, uh, regular episode, of the show in 2024 so yeah happy new year if you're joining us and um of course i mentioned regular there we are uh, doing a side series at the moment encompassing the brand new masters of the air show um, yeah. over on apple tv so if you haven't checked out those shows yet definitely have a listen well it they're actually it's hot on the heels of this one so maybe by the time if you're listening on day of recording they won't be out yet but maybe if you're listening a few days later and definitely go and check them out. If you haven't already, do so. Calendars are hard for me. A little bit behind the scenes, Matt's off to Vegas literally hours after we record this episode. So his, yeah. his mind may be elsewhere. But off for to, this off to work. For this hour, yeah. That's a long commute. <laughs> yeah. So this week we are covering the Green Berets. We wanted to start off uh the the new year with one of those movies that we've been meaning to do um and is culturally important many people hate it um it's a very interesting movie in and of itself it's not a good movie and we'll discuss that in you know in detail right out the bat like yeah. you're not you're not beating around the bush this no. week are you mate no it's it, <laughs> you, you know and, and john wayne knew it wasn't the best thing he'd ever done um <laughs> he just felt passionate that he had to do it and that's what makes the film really interesting yeah so you know released in 1968 it is not the first but the second, we think, Vietnam War movie. Possibly third. Oof. Yeah. More research on that is needed. Mm. Um, but it's the first major studio picture, I would argue. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, released on uh, Warner Brothers uh, Seven Arts um, in June 1968. Of course, John Wayne directed, um, also starred. And it's an adaptation of a book which was written by um, a chap called uh, Robin Moore. And he'd been uh, a writer for some time and he'd actually gone to the trouble of doing the Q selection course for the Green Berets, oh, wow. which is a you know a big deal. He was the first civilian to actually pass the, 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 the Q course. Um, he'd been in the US Army Air Force in, in World War II, um, but this was his breakout book. It was a bestseller. Um, it was also obviously... Uh, it came out in 1965, so it was around that time where the US public were really interested in what was going on in mm. Vietnam, and a number of studios vied for it early on, um, and then they kind of lost interest because they weren't sure if a Vietnam movie was going to be like a you know like a something that the public was interested in. Mm. Um, so the the rights were were sort of lapsed, and 
John Wayne came in and bought them for fifty thousand dollars. Wow, what a money back then! A lot of money. Well, not for not for old John Wayne though. It's probably chump change <laughs> at that point in his career. But you know, yeah. Um, and he, he took it to a number of studios, and finally, uh, Warner Warner Brothers said yes, um, with the caveat, however, um, that he co-direct. So, oh, okay. In 1960, John Wayne had directed The Alamo, which was his big um, passion piece. It was a, a, an epic, yeah. and it didn't do great. Um, Ac- Academy of... Award nom for John Wayne, though, in that. Yep, yep. It it just it didn't do what the studio wanted. Um, no, and it, it kind of stalled his directorial career. Yeah. Ironically, the Disney version didn't do what Disney wanted in 2004. No, they're both really interesting <laughs> films, and the Disney films. Yeah become one of those ones that's like it's it's cult for being the one of the biggest like a financial bomb the modern era. Yeah. <laughs> um but it's actually a pretty good film um, it's decent. Yeah. you know we'll cover it at some point what warner actually did was they said you've got to have a co-director to, to kind of like help out so mm. john wayne actually chose somebody he worked with in the past um a chap called ray kellogg um he was a former member of the oss field photography uh branch and you oh, John wow. Ford. So he has a really interesting wow. career. Yeah. Um, where he directs a couple of small, small, small budget B movie type things. Yeah. The late fifties, early sixties. And then what he's best known for is he's a really skilled second unit director. Mm-hmm. So he knows how to shoot action. Mm-hmm. Um, and he worked on stagecoach castle keep Ooh. and Tora 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 as well. So he's had an interesting career, but on top of that, there was another director who isn't listed or credited called Mervyn Leroy. And he served as, as sort of an assistant uh, advisor on the film um, for about five to six months. And uh, essentially Warners were concerned that Wayne, even with Kellogg, um, wouldn't be able to carry a picture this big. Uh, it's a lot of budget, a lot to go wrong. It's touchy subject matter. So, they they kind of just hired Leroy, mm. and he said of it later on. I took over and assisted the Duke with the directing whenever he needed me. I didn't do it for nothing, of course, but I wouldn't let them put my name on it as I didn't think that would be fair to the Duke, which oh, I thought interesting. was interesting. Well, mm. and he worked on a couple of war movies prior to this. He worked on Waterloo Bridge, Thirty Seconds Over Tokyo, and Escape. So he has an interesting career mm. as well. And the way I think it worked out was. Um, Kellogg oversaw the action sequences, um, which is about like a third of the, of the actual film. Pretty much. Um, and then Leroy handled the scenes that Wayne was in, and then Wayne directed all the scenes that he wasn't in. So I think that's kind of like how it worked. Which so him, be, so him being billed as director is a complete hogwash. Yeah. And when wow. you consider it like that, the film is a lot more cohesive than you would kind of imagine. Yeah, but the, and then and then that kind of explains why I feel like it doesn't it doesn't feel cohesive in some aspects. Yeah, it's really yeah. interesting. Mm, that explains um, a lot. So the the actual screenplay was adapted um, by James Lee Barrett, who was a Korean War vet, and he'd worked on the greatest story ever told, uh, Shenandoah, The Undefeated, and April Morning, which is a film about the battles of Lexington and Concord that I want to cover this year in yeah. um, in April, which I think will be. And time to do it. Be a good one. Um, and that, that pretty much rounds out um, mm. the production side of things. Although, of course, one thing I did I managed to dig up was that the uh, the Department of Defense attached a special forces advisor. So there was uh, a lot of um, support from the DoD, as you would imagine, much like those World War Two movies, yeah. you know, the classics. Mm. Um, and they attached a major Gerald uh, R. Dodds, and he was a three-tour uh, Vietnam veteran. Uh, did three tours in Vietnam, Blimey. Silver Star, Bronze Star, well, three tours in '67 when they shot. Yeah, so wow. he was in from '55 to '75, and he oh, okay. did three tours throughout his time. Don't I couldn't track down exactly when he was in mm. in country, but. Um, Silver Star, Bronze Star, Legion of Merit, Vietnamese Cross of Gallantry with two palms. So he knew what he was doing. You made the film about him. Yeah, that would have been great, wouldn't it? Would <laughs> have been better. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, Do you have a budget then, this week? Budget seven million. Wow. 
a lot. couple of interesting things around that though um apparently there was some criticism of how much um the defense department charged for using their um, infrastructure and personnel etc sure. they only charged uh batjack productions which was john wayne's production company uh eighteen thousand six hundred and twenty three dollars blimey bargain um, yeah Whereas the actual costs to the U.S. Army were closer to about a million dollars. Oh, okay. So some someone somewhere is like, this could be good for our image. Exactly. Um, yeah. And a Democrat representative called Benjamin Rosenthal um, mm. revealed the figure yeah, in 1969 and accused the film of being uh, Pentagon propaganda, essentially, oh. which it kind of They're is. not wrong. <laughs> They're not um, wrong, as we will explore later on. Um, they're for sure. So I think cast. Yeah, cast and the return of the one word review and the return of the retro reviews coming up. Mm-hmm. So cast. The retro reviews this week oh. are going to be off the chain. <laughs> they weren't kind, mm-hmm. shall we say. <laughs> so for cast, of course, we have John Wayne, the Duke himself, playing Colonel Mike Kirby. Um, he's obviously the legendary actor of Hollywood's Golden Age. Um, we covered Sands of Iwo Jima before Christmas last year. Um, obviously, Matt has already mentioned the Alamo. He appears in True Grit, which he gets an Academy Award win in 1969. Uh, Fort Apache, the Fighting Seabees, they were expendable. Flying Tigers, the longest day. Uh, Brannigan, <laughs> yeah. just off the top of my head. Um, so, and you know, he, you know, you, everyone knows who John Wayne is. I think by now, you know, I'm not going to ban Splain Wayne. Um, so we have uh, up next, we have Aldo Ray playing Sergeant Muldoon. Uh, he was a U.S. Navy frogman in the Second World War. He saw action at Okinawa. Um, in his terms of war movie credits, uh, there's Battle Cry, Three Stripes of the Sun, What Did You Do in the War, Daddy, Suicide Commandos, and an appearance in the original SWAT 70s TV series, um, which is interesting. Then we have David uh, Janssen playing George Beckworth, the, uh, the correspondent. Uh, he was Richard Kimball in The Fugitive um, and uh, was in To Hell and Back and Hell to Eternity. So, you know, massive TV pull back in yeah, the day. With The Fugitive, yeah, massive. Yeah, really is. Um, then we have Jim Hutton as Sergeant, Sergeant Peterson, and he starred in 40 U.S. Army training films whilst, whilst in the U.S. Army in the late 1950s, early 60s. <laughs> really interesting. Yeah. Um, and he appeared, um, uh, then he kind of during that time, he did appear in some uh, some TV projects. So he was appeared, he appeared in the short-lived Second World War drama The Big Attack in 1956, which is like a sort of proto-combat combat kind mm. of esque series um there's not a lot about it online but i think it is all on youtube um and then he's in the horizontal lieutenant which is like a a light-hearted sort of comedy mm. romantic army film and um, then you have he's in major Jun- major dundee and the hallelujah trail they're both westerns then we have raymond st jakes as uh, sergeant doc mcgee um uh uh, Greenberg raises his only war credit, but he did play Martin Luther King in Private Files of Jake Hoover. And he played Rawhide as well. Yep, Simon Blake in the eighth season of Rawhide. And he was also in The Man from Uncle. So another, you know, he would have been recognizable to audiences um, in America. And then we have a really big hitter in George Takei as Captain Nim, um, one of the South Vietnamese soldiers who assists the Green Berets in the movie. Now, of course, you know, we all know, we all know George Takei, Star Trek fan or not, for playing Sulu. Um, in the original series and interestingly enough um, the shoot ran over and it almost lost him his role in star trek so he's not in season two for a lot of the episodes because of this one i never um, knew that. i never knew there was a reason oh, cool. yeah matt's our resident trekkie yeah um, so, you know I'm, I'm, I'm so pleased to first handing some star trek facts to him this month this week so he also had some uh, other war movie credits he was in pt 109 and he was in which way to the front And he also commented this um, about his casting on the film in 1967 and why Wayne chose to um, chose to cast him. So he said there was a core decency in him. He was a very pro-war guy. And when I went in for the interview, he says, I have to be honest with you. I don't agree with you. Sorry. When I went in for the interview, I said, I have to be honest with you. I don't agree with you about the war in Vietnam. I have been campaigning against the war. I wanted you to know. He surprised me. He said, I'm hiring the best actor I can for the role, and that's all I'm concerned about. Fellow actors, Hutton and Janssen, are also pro-peace, and I'm casting them, so I'm making my decision based on acting ability. 
Wow. Yeah. But then apparently uh, Wayne on set kept referring to him as Sulu. <laughs> so if he wanted him, he'd go, you know, find me Sulu, where's Sulu? Get him for me. So, but, so there's even a theory that Wayne was a secret Trek fan and that's why he cast him, but we, we might never know. Um, <laughs> I mean, it was a cultural phenomenon back in the 60s, wasn't it? So, yeah. You know, it's, it's you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a TNG guy. I'm a next generation guy. Yeah, Rob's, Rob's working his way in. I am, yeah. I'm loving it. Loving it so far. Um, and then we have Jack Sue as Colonel Kai. He's best known for his role in the sitcom Barney Miller, but he also appeared in MASH and Hawaii Five-0 and lots of other American TV credits. Then we have Patrick Wayne, the son of John Wayne. No, get, no, you know, no points for guessing that one. As Lieutenant Jameson. Um, he was in The Searchers, The Alamo, The Gatling Gun, Big Jake, Young Guns in the 90s. He starred in 11 of John Wayne's movies. So don't let me hear you say Nepo Babies are a new thing because they're not. <laughs> then we have Craig Jew as Hamchuck, and he has very few credits to his name. Um, he later appears in MASH, uh, Lancer, which is a, a TV drama, and uh, a couple of episodes of The Bill Cosby Show in the 70s. Yeah. Mm, that's that one's age like milk isn't it um then we have irene sue as lynn um she's a prolific you know american tv some film roles she's in the man from uncle the horizontal lieutenant again um airport 1975 and there's one for matt she was also in paper tiger oh was she oh cool. yeah yeah so then that's the pretty much the cast i mean that's all the main players there's a few other sort of ancillary characters but you know, it mainly you're with Wayne and the the main beret yeah. force all the way through. Um, everyone else is kind of notable for the fact that it cast zero Vietnamese actors. They're all yes. either Japanese Americans or Chinese Americans or Chinese. That's true. Um, or from, or and a lot Korea, of the extras, Korean descent. Yeah, yeah. And if you if you mm. pause on some of the um, combat sequences and the VC, are, there's a lot of a lot of white guys in there. Well, they're just yeah, they're just guys off the lot, aren't they? Yeah, you know, well, that's what the, it feels it, like. It's also theorized that there are um, troops that were hired on as well. That would make complete sense. Yeah. Yeah, it would, wouldn't it? Yeah. Um, and then, then they'd have full control over what they did. So, yeah. you know, yeah. Um, so then we have the one word reviews, which are back. Um, and oh. it was an amazing, an amazing response on the Twitter or the X profile. We had 104 replies. And I'm going to pick some at random. And Rob's and... going to read them all. <laughs> <laughs> so we have um, Eddie Bond goes with propaganda. Propaganda. Jem uh, Duduku goes bollocks. <laughs> uh, my cats are fighting outside. I hope that doesn't come through on the recording. If it does, it. I'll leave it in. Um, Brian Williams says polarized. Bill 1940 medal campaign goes with pish. Kevin Getz, bath. Ian McClellan. Drivel, very frank, awful. Uh, the sophisticated review goes with Skyhook. Um, Sand, uh, Randy S. Robbins goes with Viet Crap, which I quite enjoyed. JL says Whitewash. Russell Hogg Tosh. Edward Demanuf Crap. Uh, Craig Seaton goes with Hamchuck. Uh, Harold Ellis says Patriotic. Uh, and Mark Denton will end it this, this week. And he said Jingoistic. But there was some, there was, Across the board, like just there was a couple loathing. of them. I, I I did see one or two that were um, that said misunderstood. Um, to a point, I th I agree. Yeah. But to a point, yeah. But there there are there. there's people there's, there are different there are differing opinions. Yeah, That's yeah. That's what I mean. Definitely, but it was a bumper response. We're so pleased that everyone was you know in the wings waiting for the one word reviews to come back. So we love reading them out. So on to the first retro review of 2024 and who better to join us from the annals of film critique past than the legend Roger Ebert. Um, so we have a review from him from June 26, 1968, and I'll read you a couple of excerpts. So he says, The Green Berets simply will not do as a film about the war in Vietnam. It is offensive not only to those who oppose American policy, but even to those who support it. At this moment in our history, locked in the longest and one of the most controversial wars we have ever fought, what we certainly do not need is a movie depicting Vietnam in terms of cowboys and Indians. That is cruel and dishonest and unworthy of thousands who have died there. If I was a soldier in Vietnam, I would not want to be represented by the Green Berets. I would not want 
any of my fellow citizens to think I was as stupid and simple-minded as the Americans in this film. I would prefer a much more realistic film in which I was seen not as a hero, but as an individual human trying to act ethically in a difficult position. Give it, give it 10, 15 years, Roger. You'll, you'll get it. <laughs> you'll get a glass of it. You'll get mate. your wish. Don't worry. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I, and, and to, to preface off of, to jump, sorry, to jump off of the retro review this week, because a lot of the reviews at the time were scathing. Oh, the New York Times one goes in. Oh, it's a goat really goes in hard, doesn't it? Um, but commercially, the movie does make a profit. It makes quite a big profit. Yeah, 32 um, million. Yeah, which I think is interesting. And I think that's maybe just the pull of John Wayne, um, rather than anything else. Well, it was else. in the top 10 uh, movies of the year. Mm. Um, Wayne himself thought that perhaps the, the the harsh criticism drove audiences to go and see it. Quite possibly, yeah. That always um, happens, doesn't it? That was one it? thing he theorised. Mm. Um, but it wasn't just in America that it was hated. I, I did some reading around, and apparently... In West Germany, it was compared to a, a Nazi propaganda. Wow! Um, it was compared to uh, a couple of the uh, the, the 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 wartime propaganda mm. movies, mm. and um, it was criticised as an oversimplification of the issues. It was described as naive portrayal. Um, I think it's all fair. It's all fair critique. It was noted for its you know very prominent strong militarism. Um, yeah. So much so that Wayne eventually published a statement in the LA Times in January 68, um, in which he said um, that he wasn't debating whether it was right or wrong for the United States to be in this war. We are showing the mettle of American fighting men. Wow. Hit and miss there, John. <laughs> Swing and a miss there, boy. <laughs> and I, I've, I've got it down here. I think it's really interesting that this film comes out post-Tet Offensive, mm -hmm. 1968, and post battle for Huey in in June of that year, yeah. Um, sorry, Huey was earlier, and public opinion massively changes after Huey. Um, you know, because the the, the Tet and Huey were beamed right into the to people's homes like that, like it hadn't been before. Yeah. Um, with you know, with Good the point. advent of you know news television broadcasting, and just public opinion really shifts. And there is, I mean, it must be said that there is a. There is a firm and uh, pro-war movement in the states during the sixties. It's not as talked about as much as maybe I think it should be, because obviously the anti-war movement that comes after Tet is a lot bigger and noisier. But there is a little core of people that do believe what the what, what yeah. the US is doing over there is just. Um, and the figures for it are quite interesting. I couldn't find them. I've got them in a book somewhere, but I couldn't find it for the recording. But I think I find it's really interesting, because ironically the offensive. The Tet Offensive was a strategic win for the US and South Vietnam. Mm. Like it, it did knock a blow yeah. to to the Viet Cong. The path yeah, it was a miscalculation for them, wasn't it? Yeah, but the but because of the losses that the US suffered and the the, the you know the the perceived bloodiness and brutalness of that campaign back home just sways opinion a lot. And I think this movie couldn't have picked. I mean, obviously, it could wouldn't have known the Tet was going to happen. You know, no one knew it was going to happen. It was a surprise offensive by the uh, North Vietnam. But they couldn't have picked a worse time to release your jingoistic pro-war movie. No, right this is Right after it. Tet. This is it. So, I mean, coming off that, the uh, production on the film starts in a, in late 65. So Wayne actually writes to, to Lyndon B. Johnson, the president, mm. and he says that he wants to write this movie. Uh, in um, Michael Munn's biography, he's quoted as saying, I told the president that I felt it was important for the people of the United States and also the people all over the world should be shown why it was necessary for Americans to be in Vietnam. And I got the government's support to make the picture. So in the summer of 66, he then goes to Vietnam and he spends a couple of days in Saigon and then he goes to the front and he does a bit of USO stuff, tours around, has a look around. He's there about three weeks with uh, Barrett, the, the screenwriter. Uh, mm. And then they come back work up the script and get the film into production in, uh, I believe it was uh, mid-67. Yes, yeah. And then they they work on it for about six, eight months, probably just while Tet's, you know. Yeah. I mean, like, they must, they must, on set, they must have been thinking, oh, God. You know, the studio must have been thinking, wow, this isn't going to go down very well. And obviously it doesn't. But I think maybe that, we can side into the alley tally now and try and try and rescue some positives because I think after the alley tally and after favorite scenes, I kind of don't have anything positive to say about this film. 
Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello there. Sorry to interrupt. I wanted to let you know that you can now join our supporting cast over on Patreon. As thanks for your support, you'll be able to help us pick films, submit questions for guests, have first pick on brand new and exclusive merch, and much more. Thank you for your support. Now back to the show. It's time for Ali Tally on Fighting on Film. The first Ali Tally of 2024. I think Oof. I know what you're going to be talking about. I think everyone listening who's seen the Green Berets knows what you're going to be talking about right now. Say the line, Matt. Um, <laughs> yeah, so we've got to talk about the Mattel M16, haven't we? We, we do. Unfortunately, we have to. Um, and it's become infamous. And it's really interesting because the, there was a, a rumour that went round during the war um, I believe that some GIs thought that Mattel had been making parts for the M16 because mm. the M16 is a space age lightweight weapon. It's aluminium, mm. aluminium alloys, polymers. It's you know it's unlike anything. It's cutting edge when it's introduced in before. Exactly. It's, yeah. It's, and people criticised it as being a bit toy-like, mm. um, and of course Mattel in about 1966 released the Marauder, which is a the toy based on the M16 and it has a big speaker which makes you know gunfire noises like a clack, out clack, in, clack. Yeah. In, in the magazine um and that's the most identifiable kind of feature of it so of course in production of the movie they must have thought well there's a bit in the script where John Wayne gets really angry and, and breaks a um a rifle against a tree mm. and um what do they do they go oh I know what we can do we can substitute in a a plastic toy that'll be a Get lot easier for the duke to yeah, smash, smash against that tree um because he'd have had a hell of a job trying to break a m16 yeah. apart i think not one of eugene stoner's greatest ever inventions like he'd have been there for a while you know so it actually appears in the film before that scene which is towards the end of the film oh does it so if you if you remember the bit where the lieutenant or the lieutenant uh is killed by the mortar round oh um, yeah during the night attack if you look on the floor, there's a bent M16 and you can just see, I think this is my theory, at least I believe it's a Mattel gun because oh, wow. it has the big thick sort of uh, we'll magazine. We'll definitely try and screenshot that for the, for the Facebook, uh, yeah, for the yeah. socials. Yeah. Yeah. And then of course, later on, um, there's the, you know, the famous scene where John Wayne gets very upset that one of his men's died and he kind of just like takes it is out it on bonk? the, uh, it's only on the, for such an iconic sort of infamous scene that's become a little bit infamous because it's fed into this myth of the M16 mm-hmm. not being a very good service weapon. Yeah. And we, p- people that know, know why, because that early batch were not good. They weren't a good batch of rifles. But by the time... Troops weren't trained to, to went, yeah, exactly. clean them. Went, the, yeah. the, the ball propellant wasn't exactly what they had been tested with. Mm. It was a slightly cheaper form of propellant. It didn't perform as well in the field. No. The chaps no. weren't told they had to clean the weapons, and you know I mean, when Jack they did Kirby, clean the weapons. Jack so. Kirby, the Marvel comic book artist, drew a manual, cleaning manual. Yeah, he did for yeah. the M16 to to help troops, like help these mm-hmm. kids learn how to clean their weapon. You know, and I think it's this whole thing of Matt. You'll probably agree that the M14 was held in such high regard that when they brought in this space age looking gun, I think the old sweats were like, "What the hell's this thing?" Yeah. Oh yeah, there was definitely an element of that. Um, 
and then the early issues really coloured it for a lot of a lot of guys. And um, it's it's interesting because the myth kind of continues. There's you you see um, a lot of comments on videos about LEM16s from veterans, yep. that they, they'll swear down that their rifle had a Mattel handguard or had yep. Mattel stamped on it. it so much have. so, a, a colleague of mine, um, Logan Metish, who is a historian. Um, he he runs the uh, High Caliber History YouTube channel. Oh, yeah. He did a great video where he addressed the myth, did a lot of research into the background of it and the origins, and then he actually made his own Mattel rifle. He took a blank lower receiver and put a Mattel. <laughs> he laser, had a laser-engraved Mattel logo onto a, onto the receiver. Oh, my God. I dread to think how many times that photo has been used to legitimize the myth. Oh, no. He, he is the first to admit that the people have misappropriated his, oh, no. his joke. <laughs> um, but no, he did he did a great video on it. I, I definitely recommend um, checking it out. But the, the M16 in in the film is actually uh, XM16E1 with the bag, bag cage. Not, sorry, with the three-prong... Uh, yeah, three-prong flash hider. Yeah. With the, with the um, three-prong flash hider, but forward assist. Yes. Um, which, by that point... Is a little bit older. Yeah, I think so. Had A1s it coming in by because um... I think they'd started using bird cages around that yeah. time. Mm. So there's yeah. some interesting guns in there. Some some very interesting weapon chat there for everybody. <laughs> we kind of you know dabbled, we rambled. Anyway, no, for me, I mean, I really like the one thing I think the movie gets well, and this is obviously from the U.S. Department of Defense involvement, is I like the the early mixture of early vietnam war yeah here because the movie never i don't think the movie ever expressively says when it's set but it's clearly set in like 65 66 it's clearly quite early um yeah you get that kind of vibe which yeah the the, the three-pronged flash hiders would would fit in mm. and i don't know whether you noticed but a lot of the guys in in fort benning when it's supposed to be fort benning they've got the subdued um like rank flashes and stuff yeah and then yeah. in Vietnam, when they get to Vietnam, a lot of the guys have the, you know, the original, like, non-subdued. Yeah. Subdued, subdued patches came in way later. They, yeah. like, late 60s, you know, that, in a direct response to being in theatre. Yeah. Um, that's where they come from. Um, so, yeah, the mixture of, like, early uniforms. So you have second pattern jungle fatigues, um, which you rarely see on camera. They're the, uh, essentially, you know, like the, the sort of American paratrooper-looking jackets, but... The way you can identify a second pattern jungle fatigue is it's got the buttons on the outside. Right. And for the third pattern, they put a um like another piece of material over the buttons it, to right. stop them from, from being frayed and broken. So that's mm. really nice to see. And they're all the you know, yeah, John Wayne's is all pressed and looks fantastic. Like I, I it's really great. Um and then later on they changed the tiger stripe uniforms, which is, you know, Vietnam War, you know, really famous camouflage. Mm -hmm. And I read apparently that camo became really popular after the war but i don't know whether they mean like as a fashion item or whether they mean with troops because they can't mean with troops because tiger stripe been being used by the south vietnamese and yeah. north vietnamese been using their own made versions of it that's where it comes from it comes from vietnam that pattern of, mm. uh, of camo it must, it must mean fashion wise i guess I, I assume so i couldn't find any real bead on it um but it's um and obviously that you know that camouflage becomes adopted by US advisors, uh, Mac V SOG teams, LERP teams, um, Navy SEALs all use it. It's a very iconic looking, you know, uh, uh camouflage. Always love to see it. It's one of my favorites. Um then I really enjoyed seeing M1 carbines in use by the Arvin troops. I think there's even a Garand in there. Cause to me, that's like, oh, representation of Americans getting rid of all their old weapon stocks to the Montanard and the and the mm. South Vietnamese army that they did. Um, and I'll, I'll, I've got another thing about weapons, but I'll save it for favorite scenes. Cause there's a, there's a reason why I really like that bit. Mm. Um, but, uh, the spooky is cool to see with the miniguns. Yeah. The spooky is really cool. The Citroen DS escape car at the end. <laughs> it's so, Oh God, the ending of the movie. So oh, we'll talk about oh, that in a minute. God. Yeah. It's it's fascinating to me that like none of the the BC or MVA have any of the classic com block weapons. No, they don't. Um, Even though they all... show them at the start. Yeah, and they're all <laughs> equipped with everything from 
there's some of the guys are running around with M14s. They're equipped with everything from like M14s to old Mausers. Mm. And like Which one isn't guy wrong has... for NVA. No, it's not. It's, it's sorry, VC, sorry, it's not wrong. And the earlier in the war, the, the you know, the more likely that is, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, um, it's a misnomer that they were poorly equipped. Um, you know, they get a heck of a lot of kit, gear from a heck of a lot of countries. Um, that's ferried in through North North Vietnam. It's the like same it's... same for the Arvin and the Montanards. Like, there's a lot of, mm. of of carbines, as you say, say, and then there's some uh, there's some Mausers, and I even think I spotted an SMLE at one point. You might, you very may have well um, done. There is like one the BC. Sorry, go on, sorry. No, no, I like the Biao Gam Duck Hunter caps that Nin yeah, has. Yeah, yeah, they're I, incredible. Yeah, because because um, George Takai arrives when he when he's introduced, he's wearing yeah. one, isn't he? Yeah, he's a got the, the peak other... turned up. Oh, I just love it. Just love it. There's there's a weird um, twenty two caliber T sixty two like AR seven that's been put in like a Tommy gun stock. Oh okay. One of the VC has because it's really prominent. Like it climbs notice. over a barbed wire fence and he kind of like throws it up in the air when he gets shot. Yeah, they've just armed um, them with whatever's in the armory. Really have whatever's yeah. on the the lot armories has been raided for that sequence. I, and if it was done at Benning, like they probably just pulled out anything they had for like any old rubbish. And, yeah, and reference and, and stuff. it shows, and that in itself shows the contempt this movie has for its enemy force that it hasn't oh, yeah. even gone out of its yeah. way to arm them properly. You know, and yet you've got the Green Berets running around like they've literally just come out of a quartermaster's stores. They're so well equipped. Like it's, it, I like I, mean, that, I like that the, alone, um, you know? the the South Vietnamese colonel's suppressed Colt Woodsman. That was cool. That he yeah. uses at the end to drop uh, a couple cool. of sentries. I did like that. Yeah, it's um, you know in in terms of its kit and representation, it isn't shocking. I'll no. give it that. No, obviously, it's you know, it's it's got that Department of Defense help, so I wasn't expecting it to yeah. be awful. Um, Aldo Ray runs around with an M, uh, M79, but no, doesn't use it. Never uses it, no. Some nice uh, mortar action in it. It's not fantastic, yeah, but it's there. Yeah. A lot of 30 cows being used on the fire base. Cows. There's a, there's a ANM2, the aircraft version of the 50 cal. Yeah, it's is, nice. Is in there. Um, no M60s, though. I thought there were. Was there? I think there's some in the background, but oh, you, don't see, never you don't see like any You've main seen, characters yeah. with, but there are a couple in the background. Yeah, you I know guess what I did the... think was weird is John Wayne doesn't fire a shot the entire film. No, he doesn't. He just yeah. carries it round upside down a lot of the time. Yeah, it's weird. He, he and he, then he look, it looks the wrong time... on Wayne. It doesn't look right on Wayne for him to be shooting an M16. No, it doesn't look right. It, it's because he's it's he's like man out of time, isn't he? It, it's yeah. weird. Yeah. And it's, the it's only so time he actually fires a gun is when he's on a weird clay range with a, a, an actual a colonel from Fort Benning, yeah. and he has a shotgun, and he mimes firing at the yeah. clay, and and he's like, "Why are you at a clay range? This is weird. This is a yeah, weird they just, scene." They just walk into them shooting at clays. It's yeah, bizarre, and it looks like it? it's just a big PT field, not a clay range. Yeah. It's odd. It's really odd. And I think um, we're not at this stage where yet. Yet, where Vietnam War movies have defined tropes, either, so I think that's why some of this stuff's been omitted. Yeah, you know, I th I think I think this kind of begins to set up some tropes in a lot of some ways. Some of them, it kind of establishes the the firebase siege trope. Yes, it does do that. Um, yeah, a little bit. And you See? know, speaking speaking of tropes, I'm glad you mentioned that because I've you know I thought we'd start 2024 with with a cliche trope count. Have you done a cliche trope count? Wow, I, I didn't know I this, folks. This is brand new. Wow. So we've got Camp CO is killed a day before he goes home. The captain that they're going to replace okay. is killed was, in a mortar. It was one day left from retirement type stuff, but war movie version. Yeah, exactly. Um, the lieutenant that's killed by the mortar round um, in the actual main uh, mm -hmm. climactic battle is the only remains of him are a smoking pair of boots. <laughs> yeah. Which is like that's... something out of a cartoon <laughs> yeah like acme war movie yeah um there's multiple and i love it multiple uses of the wilhelm scream throughout there is it's great yeah there's at least yeah. three um and then finally just to round out the, the trope count john wayne the colonel he's replacing and aldo ray are all way too old for the positions Mass they're in massively old massively massively like Oh gosh, more on that later. So I think maybe we're into favorite scenes. Rob, do you want to go first? Yeah. So I I, I didn't mention it in the um in the alley tally because um I think there's more to it. 
Mm. So Muldoon, there's a my favorite part of it is very early on in the movie, which kind of you know prefaces the fact that I don't enjoy the film. Um, <laughs> so uh, Muldoon, Muldoon is uh, giving they're giving a lecture series, I guess, to to uh, journalists on the actions of the Green Berets and what they're doing across, yeah. throughout the world. Set, sets the Green Berets up quite nicely, actually. He's um, being Captain Exposition in that scene, isn't he? He really, really is. Yeah. So they're, they're going into Vietnam and what the Americans are doing there, and it's it's clearly for, you know it's clear it's this for the audience really to, yeah. to pump up the Americans. If you haven't heard of the war that's going on in yeah. uh, Vietnam, yeah. yeah, allow Aldo Ray to just explain if, it to you for five minutes. If you've been living under a rock, then this is for you. So he, it, it's clunky in a way, and it feels really forced. But he explains domino theory, which is the theory of that if one nation falls to communism, the nation next to it will, then the nation next to it will. And it was this big, you know, red fear in the 50s and 60s that, you know, unless you take armed intervention against a communist country to quell it, then you'll lose an entire region to communism. Um, but he shows that through weapons that are supplied to the Viet Cong. I love it. And it's really clunky, and I've, I've actually I've, I've screen captured the script here. So Beckwith goes that the journalist says that's very good, Sergeant, but there are still a lot of people who believe that this is simply a war between the Vietnamese people. It's their war. Let them handle it, Sergeant Muldoon. Let them handle it, Mister Beckwith. He points to some guns. Sergeant Muldoon says captured weaponry, and the screen director the direction is Muldoon takes the weapons from the board. He names them and drops them on the table. Um, in row of talk, in you know, as he talks, um, Sergeant Muldoon says, "From Red China, Chicom K50, Chinese communist, SKS, Soviet-made carbine, Russian communist, ammunition, Czechoslovakian-made, Czech communist. No, sir, Mister Beckwith, it doesn't take a lead weight to fall on me or hit me from one of these weapons to recognise that what's involved here is communist domination of the world <laughs> through through three kind of spread yeah. out countries <laughs> like it's it's clunky and it it's it's a really forced but i kind of i kind of respect that they Got do John try in the background with a big cheshire cat grin <laughs> yeah yeah good yeah yeah tell them about that domino theory yeah tell them explain tell them domino theory aldo do it it's it's, it's really yeah, clunky. Pilgrim, tell them but all about I, that domino theory but i like i enjoyed that because i was like i kind of I kind of like what a writer's done here. It's quite well written yeah. in, in its own way. And it does a good job as well, showing how, as I mentioned in the alley tally, how well equipped the Pavan and VC were, because I think that often gets overlooked mm. in these movies anyway. And again, um, and those then, weapons kind of fit into that earlier period of the war as well, quite mm, well. Mm. It's not handled fantastically, no. but it's there. You know, I kind of, so a lot of things in this movie are just there. They're just, they're just in there for their sake. So yeah, what's that's... your favourite scene if you have one? Um, it's Sulu going out on the claymores. I think it's cool, isn't it? Yeah, uh, it's George Takai on the claymores because he, he, you know, like they, they actually there's a really great scene where they arrive at the camp and it's a uh, a relocation camp. They're moving Montenards away from you know, VC control, etc. Um, and that goes well for them. Mm. Uh, basically john wayne arrives and he, he surveys the camp and they they show him all the various bits and he's like you need to push that fire zone that, that killing zone back um you need to add more cans to this fence you need to like, triple the amount of claymores you've got set up um and he kind of like does a nice close-up shot of a claymore in position yeah it's nice and it's like yeah. oh 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 yeah um and it's you know, it comes to comes into play later on um, with the, the kind of Takai's last stand, and he he's inside a little bunker, and he he just like hits the hits a couple of the controls and and lets off uh, a couple of the, the claymores, and then he, he gets killed. That's good. Yeah, um, he's the he's the best character for me. Yeah, he has he has the most at stake because guess what? He lives there. And they, I mean, Do you to know be what I mean. The script he he does kind of express that and what i think is really weird about that scene is john wayne's expression at the end of it he looks mm. literally uncomfortable yeah. with what the character has said to him yeah like my home's in hanoi i can't you know i can't yeah. uh, i can't go back until i've killed buku vc or whatever he says yeah you know? something like that and um john wayne just looks 
it, it doesn't have the the look on his face that you would imagine no the character would have had in that situation it's a bit of a weird scene and yeah. it undercuts Takai as well in a weird way the movie does it at every turn every time something is said that could could be seen either way being pro or anti-war it it underlines itself with America number one rubbish. Jingles Leroy should have leaned in there and gone, John, can you just give me that scene again, but with actual like a, a normal reaction to some what kind of some kind of emotion? Said. Yeah, it, it's it's a weird one, isn't it? Um, but no, you are right. Uh, Sulu is not sorry. You are right. George Takei is really good in it. Like he's one of the saving greatest of the movie. I wish he'd been in it more. Um, yeah, him, him, and the um, the uh, I've forgotten it, the the character's name. Uh, Doc, Doc, the, yeah, the the medic come mm. um, sergeant. He's great in it too. I mm. think he his character is, um, his performance slips the character. The character doesn't have a lot it does. to do. There's not a lot on the page. Yeah, um, it reminded me a lot of Woody Strode. What he had, what he was given yeah, in the sixties, yeah. and what he did with it, um, in the fifties. That's a good uh, uh, comparison, actually. You know, yeah, really elevating kind of the role. Give it some given. gravitas, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, really bringing something to it. Um, and but obviously, you know being underused like a lot of black actors were back then yeah you know um, woody strode being one of them and and uh, st jake's so i think we're into final thoughts for this week and i'll i'll start because there's a i've been wanting to say this line on the show for so long i i saved it and i'm probably paraphrasing it but a listener once tweeted when we mentioned green berets once before mm-hmm. and i think it captures the, the essence of this movie so so well i if, if you remember tweeting it please let us know so I'd love to congratulate you on it because you, 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 you've summed it up better than I ever could. It's a 40s movie with a 50s cast filmed in the 60s. Yeah. Like it it just does, it just, this film just does not work for me. Like it's, Ebert said, it's a Western. It feels like a Western. Mm. Like the, the attack on the firebase is so static. It's it like an attack on a wagon train. And even it's the Via Alamo. That's what it via, is. Via Alamo. Yeah. Really, really um, is. And, and that's a third of the picture too, which is yeah, weird. It is. That and it's it. And the film should have ended there. It should, yeah. So I have a thing about this. So that the film there feels to be because the first time I saw it, I turned off at that point because I had to go and do something else, and I thought that was the ending. So in my brain, in my brain for the last few months, I'm like, oh well, that movie doesn't actually end on that bad of a of a jingoistic tone. So I, I assumed that the movie ends by having a sort of semi-decent message of saying, look how the VC fight, uh, you know, we've been overwhelmed um, and, our, you know, the small band of South Vietnamese and this American special forces have been over, overwhelmed by, an, by a, an evil, you know, communist force or whatever. Um, but this is why we're fighting the war to stop them, to stop them doing this. Yeah. But no, the, the movie just goes and has a, a massive side quest of capturing a, <laughs> A general that just feels so tacked on. It's like, why are we having a B plot now? You've you've not yeah. said anything about this the whole way through, and then you get another forty minutes. It's wild, isn't it? Because there's a scene where they take him to like a golf course or something at Fort Benning, and they're like, yeah. "Why are we out here?" And and uh, it's him and the uh, the colonel he's replacing as the the SF area commander it's beggar's belief and the 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 uh, south vietnamese colonel and he's like well it's it's super secret and so secret we haven't mentioned it in the film we haven't even mentioned it before yeah yeah Yeah. um and we're gonna remember that general we mentioned like 30 minutes ago briefly in a scene that was like completely unnecessary in a bar well we're gonna gonna capture him it feels like a rewrite it feels like they've had to add something on like the like maybe the original message well, of the ending has been lost. It's interesting because it. in Michael know. Munn's in Michael Munn's book, he uh, there is a quote from Wayne where he says, "I was trying to keep everyone happy and still keep my vision of what I wanted, but the studio wanted one thing, and the men from the defense department wanted something else completely." Right. Let me tell you, uh, it was said I got all the hardware and the real soldiers who were in the picture for free. I paid for everything that belonged to the defense department. Um, but I still could only hire the hardware and soldiers if we change things in the script. So a lot got changed. So that that quote is really interesting to me. And then mm. he later mentions that the the, uh, the Department of Defense in the original script, they the mission goes into North Vietnam to capture the general. Oh, okay. And the Department of Defense said we wouldn't go into North Vietnam. You need to change <laughs> that, and they changed it to 
the general is is in we, South Vietnam. We can't have people working out we're sending LERP teams into Laos and Cambodia. We can't have that coming out yet, you know. <laughs> and then, oh my god, oh god, if they'd have done that. And then, and then a few years later, there was the disastrous South Vietnamese American invasion of Cambodia that, that went awfully wrong. Like, oh my god, it would have been like about mission art. slip. Yeah, I know. Wow, wow. I can I can see them not wanting to to have that, but wow. But yeah, I mean, you know, for me this week, the the pacing's awful. There are so many scenes of little consequence. The action is bland. Um, I can fully understand why it's paid, why it's universally panned. You know, it's not even a good John Wayne film. No, like, it's not. He it's not. he's so he just lumbers around and then uh, speaks in like these sort of I wouldn't even say Shakespearean, but these sort of he, he sort oh, of like proselytizes, doesn't he? Yeah, proselytizing. That's the word I was yeah. looking for. And but as this weird little pro-war NAM film released in the most contentious year probably of the Vietnam War at <laughs> home and in Vietnam itself to a point. Like, it's such an anomaly in yeah. terms of the history and film and jingoism and everything. It's 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 fascinating, but it's shit. Like, it's <laughs> it's so weird. <laughs> no, I agree. I agree. Let me, let me talk about some of the positives and I'll hit the negatives as well. So, you know, it, there's some really well-constructed bits. Mm. Uh, the helicopter attack on the the MVA bridge, which they are, it doesn't say why they're building that bridge, but they're building that no, bridge. They never, they never go back to it, man. And they attack why the bridge, they? And they destroy it the bridge. No That's sense. a nice little scene. Yeah. Um, there's great flying sequences throughout, and that kind of leans into the fact that the film is basically just one giant capability demo. And in yeah, defense terms, what it is, what that means is. It's showing off all the capabilities of the U.S. Armed Forces at the time. So you've got almost all the U.S. Army's weaponries on show. Techniques are shown. Um, equipment like Hueys, Chinooks, yeah. Spooky, Skylift, Starlight Scopes, um, the Combat Jump, all of the aircraft on that that um, the yeah. strip when, when yeah. they when they land like. Half of that has got no business. The, the only thing they didn't there. show was like the Brown Water Navy or the tanks yeah, yeah. or APCs or something. It's just it's like it's almost like we're just having like a a brochure of like what we've what yeah. The and there's got there's nods there. to stuff. There's like nods to Hearts and Minds where Doc is trying to help the locals yeah. and they're trying yeah. to move the Montanards around. <laughs> Look, fellas, everything that hasn't worked up to this point, like <laughs> you know, I'm surprised they didn't say about the the reinforced. Um, I can't remember its actual name, but they did a they did a thing of reinforcing uh, uh, South Vietnamese uh, compounds. Um, reinforced, I forget the name, but like I'm surprised they haven't mentioned that in there. Like there's, it just it feels like you're you, sometimes you're reading a Max Sog report. Yeah, you know, and it's like here's the here's our counterparts, the South Vietnamese Army. They're really good. They are really good at what they're doing, and that might be mm. the, the case. But the film really hammers home that. They're really good, but I also like some of the 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 more nuanced bits where it you know it mentions um um that there's VC within George yeah. Takai's company um and you know Beckwith says there's a great little scene where Beckwith says they're really that close you know they send out a patrol um and Takai like tends to him and says there's VC in my my platoon <laughs> and Beckwith yeah. is just like what not wrong yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know. And and there's there's bits of that that come up later on, obviously. Um, but yeah, the, the, for all the for all the few good points, there's a lot going on. J John Wayne cannot direct a, a tight he film. He can't because he's directing movies that he was in when he was thirty. Yes, you know what I mean. Like it's all he and knows. It doesn't help that there's two other directors working on this. The pace <laughs> no. is way off. Yeah. The, the 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 kind of like it's a slog. It ambles at the beginning. It picks up for the the actual uh, in country yeah. uh, combat sequence, and then they go off on a weird tangent. Um, it's it's like over an hour before any, <laughs> and, anything and happens, they, and then they just start a B plot. And I'm sitting there like the credits should be bloody rolling. Yeah, like come on. It's a hundred. It's a hundred and forty four minutes long. Sorry, one hundred and forty one minutes long, and it could be a tight one twenty. Yeah. Yeah, if, they, if if someone had reined it in, and it just it's, they wouldn't, but you wouldn't want to rein John Wayne in, would you? No, you wouldn't no, have wouldn't. that job. It's weird because it does. Like I mentioned it a little bit earlier, but it does introduce all these, you know, some of the 
the key tropes of Vietnam films. Mm. Um, and you you kind of hinted at it earlier where you, you talked about it in terms of it being a you know a um a cowboy film and it does it, feel like he's fighting it. savages that's yeah. what it feels like because yeah. there's there's no um humanity given to no. to to the enemy we're not a hamburger hill you know respect your enemy speech because yeah. you know and, and the charlie calling up to the, the 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 line with the fake rpg to show how yeah. you know how good Capable. the vcr yeah. you know because they because at this point obviously the, the film's trying to show you that they're a bad enemy force but no they're bloody not you know like every you know you read an action report about vietnam every time the vc would give the the us a bloody nose or the aussies a bloody nose and it would only be for sheer firepower and air power support that the vc would get beaten back you know yeah. there's a there's a reason the vc don't openly fight the american and the australians um, in the Vietnam War, if they can help it, because they know war material power, they don't have it. Yeah, but what they do they, have, they knew their strengths. Exactly, they know exactly they know their strengths. So, but every time the VC were in a, were in, eventually drawn into a pitch battle, yes, they get a bloody nose, but, but they give a bloody nose back. And I don't think the movie kind of gets that, but it doesn't get it enough. Yeah, it, it undermines it with the with the spooky when so they they. We get a, a fairly good set piece. It's about twenty minutes long. It's mm. quite nuanced. It, it's it's a little bit clunky in places with the choreography of, of when elements are moving up and stuff. This that, I thought the interesting uh, thing there was the inclusion of the foo gas explosions and stuff. Yeah, yeah. That was kind of cool. Also, just remembered, but we've got to mention that the model work is awful, horrific. The the helicopter that John Wayne's in when it gets shot down during that sequence model work on it looks terrible it's bad terrible it's bad and also the bit where they're in the tower and the tower falls and it's quite clearly yeah. dummies that are just like rattling around inside and the, the, the tower. bit the bit where they light up the light up the barbed wire and there's loads of dummies in it and then they they rake the dummies with machine gun fire oh yeah yeah it's just it's just stuff. so clunky mm. you know audiences at that time were better deserve more than that I did think actually, once the helicopter had crashed and the door gunner rolls out on fire, yeah, that was quite a shocking scene. I thought that was fairly yeah. well well done. Um, yeah. I hated the Beckwith character. Hated it. He, well, he's just there, and then he's not. He is literally just there for John Wayne to talk to, talk at. Yeah, he's um, the anti-war movement personified. He is. He is. is. He, like literally, he's, he's a caricature. It's yeah. just. It's it's dire. Yeah. yeah. John Wayne's having to prove him hard, wrong the hard way. That's what the yeah. film is, basically. If you if you wanted a, a synopsis but, of the film, but yet if he actually did any research into the era, the the journalists were not even having to prove how in, in how ineffective and how badly the war was going. They know it's a shit show, you know. And and the American, this is the problem with this movie. The Amer by this point, the American viewing public knew they knew it wasn't going well out there. In terms of being able to win it, a viable strategy of what do you do? You know, it you know it becomes like an Afghanistan situation. Yes, you could subdue the MVA and the Pavan, you could do it, but it would take millions and millions of defence spend, and it would take like hundreds of thousands of manpower. And even then, you're not going to have a happy medium in the country. You're just going to have an armed occupation keeping everything at bay. Mm, and yeah. I just think the the movie is just an affront to to even trying to begin, and even in like sixty eight, we're we're six years into the war at this point, even longer if you count American involvement in the fifties, yeah. etc. You know, it it's just such a weird thing. It's, it's as I said, it's this anomaly. It's just so weird. And I could forgive it a lot of things, but if it, if it had just given its audience a bit of a bit of credit. Because yeah. we get that terrible, completely detached B plot that comes in the in the last act of the film. And John Wayne is the last person I would send on a covert high value mission. By the way, mm. um, he just did not look the the the, the commando part that you, know, no. you would not send. You would not send fifty five, sixty year old John Wayne to go and he do dad, a, he, he dad runs everywhere as well. He does, and I don't know whether you noticed, but. 
when he when he does the 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 loop on the on the uh, carabiner when he's about to abseil down the building, <laughs> um, he he really does not do that loop very well. Like he if he, if he'd actually like tried to abseil with the loop he puts on that carabiner, he'd he'd have just but, face blown it. Yeah. But what I was, the point I was going to make is Peterson's death is the point in the film where you know they just did not give a shit about what the audience no. Uh, thought or yeah. had any yeah. any um any you know self-awareness his death is so fucking stupid they're ex-filling they're walking back to the 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 rendezvous yeah he's a skilled veteran who has been on multiple tours in vietnam he's a green beret and then he steps in a noose and it, it's the, like a cartoon bullshit where he gets pulled and they're like, oh no, no. And he gets pulled and then whipped onto what looks like a giant framework of just spikes. Like which a human of, Oh yeah, the trap. VC were well it's... known for making big big mattress spikes, weren't yeah. they? Mm. Like, yeah, you... punji sticks in a hole and stuff. Yeah. But come on. It's, anyway, it's he's up bad. there impaled and, and they're like, oh no, what a shame. And then they just walk off. And that's also Wayne can have that stupid little scene with Hamchuk where Hamchuk's like going, Peterson, and he's running around doing doing the terrible Don't accent. Don't get me started on Hamchuk. Ham, oh, God. Hamchuk is, is, a, is a terrible character. Well, he's, he's, he is, he is so South obvious. Vietnam. He's South Vietnam impersonified. Yeah. Because there's a line, I think, We're Aldo, doing this for you. Yeah, what, that this line. Is that fucking line. I'm like, oh my God, it's the most ham-fisted piece of exposition I've ever heard. I was like, you're all they have. I'm like, oh my God. Do you know what? My actual, um, my favourite scene is when Ko uh, Kowalski takes on 4VC and kills one by, by impaling him on a tree. Yeah, it's just oh god. That's actually that is actually my favorite scene. That man has never been introduced other than he's mentioned like briefly. Wild. I don't the, think we've ever had someone mention their, mention their favorite scene at the at the sheer end of the pod. Well, twenty twenty four. It's a wild ride. It's the essentially in, folks. for some reason four VC attack him with machetes and it's hand to hand. He loses his rifle. Oh no! What's he going to do? Oh, I'll just impale a dude on a tree. Yeah. Well, why wouldn't you? And you that know. that also kind of sums up this film. Yeah, yeah, it does. So I think there we go. I think that that we've exhausted our green beret chat there with a chap being impaled on a tree. Um, so you know, as we as he was hung up, we'll hang up our thoughts this week. Um, thank you. Know, what a segue, Matt. Come on, you smashed um, that like the Mattel against the tree. I did. Yeah. That was as ham-fisted as this film's writing. Um, so, yeah, thanks very much for joining us. It's 2024. We've got an action-packed year ahead of us on Fighting on Film. If you're looking forward to Masters of the Air, please do join us for our specials that are coming out um, very, very soon, right, right after this episode, a couple of days. I think episode one and two are dropping on Apple TV, so come and listen to us for those. All the episodes are going to drop on the same day of release as the actual um, show. So you can watch the show, listen mm -hmm. to the episode, or listen to the episode, watch the show. It's up to yeah. you. And then uh, coming up next week after this episode, we have the Patreon pick, which, if you're still listening, is Murphy's War, the Peter O'Toole uh, film from 1971. And if you'd like to get involved and vote for next month's Patreon pick, do please become a Patreon, support the show. You can uh, get the opportunity to ask guaranteed questions to guests. Um support us and also as we say vote for the uh patreon pick which is every month yeah yeah exactly please do please do help keep the mics on and always left to say thanks for listening uh join us again next week for more war movie chat bye bye everyone bye guys have fun in vegas matt thanks i'll try <laughs>Deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rose, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.